So as we get started, there's my liquidy smooth Wisconsin accent that you've come to know and love. So we get started today, uh, I invite you to bring back that memory of that mountaintop experience that you, that you have. And just kind of hold on to it. Keep it in your heart and mind as we go through. I'm going to be kind of referencing that as we, as we make, it, make our way through, uh, through a talk this morning. I've had some time to think about it. Had some time to gather a few pictures together. So I'm going to share uh, just a couple of mountaintop experiences in the history of my life. One took place on... August 22nd, 1995, when I met uh, that person. That was a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Yeah, uh, what a catch. I'll let you decide which one. <laughs> oh, Robin's not here. I just didn't want to get in trouble. Anyways, no, it was just, uh, I can look at my life and I can say there was a moment before that and a moment after that, right? And, that, and, and the thing that sits in the middle of the before and after is a mountaintop experience, and that's the day that I met, met Robin. That's not the day that we met. That was a few months after the fact, but uh, definitely a mountaintop experience. Now, you fast forward uh, several years after the fact, and there was another mountaintop experience called Mia Ohashiberg, and then another one a few years after that, Annika Ohashiberg. They are fantastic, beautiful individuals, but one mountaintop. One mountaintop where I, I met both of these girls as well. Fast forward to 2019 because we ain't got all night. You'll notice that those two girls grew up. We went for a hike this summer in the mountains, literally a mountaintop experience. And actually, the whole summer was like that. The whole summer was just this incredible time of, of exploring and making memories together and and, uh, and it was uh, kind of a summer filled with, with experiences like this. And then there's the other day. On Wednesday morning, approximately 8 a.m., I was getting ready to walk out the door and go to church and, uh, and be here for the day. And I turned around and I looked and I saw this. Those are my boys. I talked about the, the Berg girls. These are the Berg boys. Um, yeah, and that's just normal for them. They're just kind of waiting for me to, you know, take off for the day. And uh, they hang out together, Otis and Lucius. And Otis is chomping on a bone. That's what they do. They chomp on bones. They play ball. They poop in the yard. They come in for scratches. That's what they do. And it's completely normal. Totally normal. But there they are. There they are. And sometimes normal is a mountaintop experience. When you can just have that moment of just, this is life, and this is good, and this is what we do, and I get to hang out with these guys. A mountaintop experience that takes all different kinds of forms, and you can just project your image onto that, onto that collage of images as well. We have these mountaintop experiences, and then we have the other ones that are also true don't we? We have the mountaintop and then we have those deep valleys and I've had those and you've had those and I don't have any pictures of them. Who would want a picture of that? But I think about, <clears throat> I think about relationships that have crumbled and fallen apart over the years. I think about times when I've experienced over the last 20-some years uh, 
back pain that is pretty, pretty debilitating. I think about a job that I've had that completely, that I just poured myself into, right? Poured myself into this job and, and, and my blood, sweat, and tears, and then it just all just kind of fell, fell apart. We had the mountaintop. We have the deep valleys. And they're all flip sides of the same coin. All flip sides of the same coin of life. And we've had them, and we will have them again. As we leave here, we're going to continue leading our life, and we're going to have the good, and we're going to have the bad, and we're going to have all kinds of in-between. Now, I'm standing here as a pastor with a microphone on my head, preaching a sermon in a church on a Sunday morning. And with that comes all kinds of expectations, and with that comes all kinds of projections and stereotypes and stuff that you seek as I do so. So I'm going to say something, and it's going to maybe surprise some of you, disappoint others, and others uh, may, may not be surprised at all. But when I think about these mountaintop experiences and some of those, those ones in the valley that I talked about as well, when I was in that moment... I don't know that I even named that God was present in it. When I was leading it, when I was in it, I was distracted. I was, I was, just, I was fully present to the thing, and it was happening. And I don't know that I ever named God's presence or intentionally said, oh, look what God's up to here. Think about your own mountaintop experience. When you experienced that, did you say, wow, look what God's up to here? Wow. Maybe you did. But if you didn't, does that mean that God was any less active or present or involved with your life? Does that make you any less faithful of a human being? Any less faithful, any less religious, any less spiritual? Maybe it's, it's in hindsight when we look and we're like, oh, of course, God was there the whole time. I just forgot to say anything. I took it for granted, or I didn't see it, or my eyes were closed. I don't know, but some hindsight and sometimes some distance can help with that. More about that in a bit. As I mentioned earlier, we are getting into the book of Esther. And Esther is this incredible, over-the-top, soap opera-like story with heroes and villains and characters that you love and characters that you love to hate. And like with the soap opera, you just kind of get into the mix of it and you get involved with these characters and you see what they're up to and you just enjoy it for what it is. And now, as I said before, we are going to be covering about two chapters a week. And I'm not going to stand up here on a weekly basis and read two chapters of the Old Testament. You'll get bored and you'll be going out there and getting coffee and some snacks. But I do encourage you to read those chapters. So when you go home sometime this week, read the first two chapters, and then read ahead for next week, read three and four, and then you'll, you'll know it, and you'll, you'll see the actual source. But instead of reading, what I'm going to do is I've got a, uh, a video, and it's a very faithful telling of the story of Esther. And uh, so we're going to look at this and reflect on it each week as we go. So without further ado, here are the first two chapters, the book of Esther, plus uh, an overview at the start. The book of Esther, it's one of the more exciting and curious books in the Bible. 
The story is set over 100 years after the Babylonian exile of the Israelites from their land. And while some Jews did return to Jerusalem, remember Ezra and Nehemiah, many did not. And so the book of Esther is about a Jewish community living in Susa, the capital city of the ancient Persian Empire. The main characters in this story are two Jews, Mordecai and then his niece Esther. And then there's the king of Persia, who's something of a drunken pushover in this story. And then there's the Persian official Haman, the cunning villain. Now, this is a curious book in the Bible, mainly for the fact that God is never even mentioned, not once, which might strike you as kind of odd. I mean, isn't the Bible about God? But this is a brilliant technique by the author, who's anonymous, by the way. It's an invitation to read this story looking for God's activity, and there are signs of it everywhere. The story is full of very odd, quote, coincidences and ironic reversals, and it all forces you to see God's purpose at work, but behind the scenes. Let's just dive into the story. The book opens with the king of Persia throwing two elaborate banquet feasts that last a total of 187 days. And it's all for the grandiose purpose of displaying his greatness and splendor. On the last day of the banquet feast, he's really drunk, and he demands that his wife, Queen Vashti, appear at the party to show off her beauty. She refuses, and so in a drunken rage, the king deposes Vashti and makes the silly decree that all Persian men should now be the masters of their own homes. Then he holds a beauty pageant because he wants to find a new queen. This is like a really bad soap opera. But it's right here that we're introduced to Esther and Mordecai. Esther hides her Jewish identity and enters the beauty pageant and wins. And the king is so obsessed with Esther that he elevates her to become the new queen of Persia. Now after this, and even more serendipitous, is the fact that Mordecai just happens to overhear two royal guards plotting to murder the king. And so he informs Esther, who in turn informs the king, and Mordecai gets credit for saving the king's life. Now, right here from the beginning, God's not mentioned anywhere, but this all seems providentially ordered. What is it that God's up to? You have to keep reading. And so we have a cliffhanger. (laughs) We have a cliffhanger. Quite a story. I have a... Every week, I'm I'm a part of a a Thursday morning, 6 a.m. men's Bible study takes place over in, uh, in the garden lounge. A few of the guys are here this morning. And we started looking at Esther. We're going to track with Esther throughout this whole series right alongside of, of our epic series. And this week, these guys were like, we looked at it, and we looked at those first two chapters, and they just said, whoa, that's some really racy stuff. Like, how did that make the cut in the Bible? I mean, you have... You have raucous parties, you have sex and intrigue and general debauchery and political power plays and assassination attempts and retribution and all of this is going on and we're only two chapters into the story. We still have eight chapters left to go, people. We have stuff to look forward to. And as you heard, in this entire book of the Bible, this entire book of Esther, God is not mentioned or named, not even once. And somehow it ended up in the Bible. God is not mentioned. For the characters in this story, God is a lot like the elephant in the room. 
this big glaring presence that's sitting right there that nobody is even acknowledging or talking about or naming. It's a storytelling technique. It's a storytelling technique. And I looked it up, and there's a, there's a, a website called tvtropes.com, it's, or .org. It's actually a thing. And they look at different storytelling techniques that we see in TV and in film. And one of them is called the elephant in the room. And they define it like this. The elephant in the room is a large topic which, though obvious to everyone, is deliberately or conspicuously not discussed. The elephant in the room is a topic, a large topic, through which, though obvious to everyone, is deliberately or conspicuously not discussed. So here we are, the season of Lent, and we have a book of the Bible that God hasn't talked about isn't named. What are we to do with that? What are we to do with that elephant in the room? It could be that the invitation of the book of Esther for us in the next several weeks, because we can see God's activity in this story, is to look for God's activity in our own story and to be intentional about seeing that and be intentional about naming that. Be intentional about naming those mountaintop experiences, whether they are extraordinary or happen in the totally normal moments. Those experiences of love, those experiences of joy, those experiences of goodness, of new life, of a new relationship, of a new friend, those experiences of a great sunset, those experiences that happen as you go throughout your days and and, and we miss it. And we don't, like, if you're like me in those moments, you may have failed to notice it, but to actually be intentional about saying, yes, this, this is the very presence of God in our life. This is that elephant in the room and I'm going to name it. You can journal about it. You can post about it on social media. Make sure you... we got to come up with a good hashtag for that, but we'll come up with that later. Post about it on social media. Pray about it. Maybe if you are the type of person that you sit down and you have a meal at some point during the day with a friend or a loved one, just once a week or once a day or however you feel like, say, hey, where is the elephant in the room for you today? Where is God's presence for you today. Maybe that's our intentionality. Maybe that's part of our practice as we go through this season. I've heard it said that we are not human beings having a spiritual experience, but we are spiritual beings having a human experience. Maybe as the spiritual beings that we are, we are just absolutely surrounded by the elephant. There are many elephants in the room, and we get to name them, and we get to just be in that presence and just celebrate that, celebrate that goodness, celebrate the presence of God and name it. And by naming it, we start seeing all of the other things, all of the other gifts that we've been given.